Welcome back to Expert Instruction, the Teach by Design podcast, where we dive deeper into the research surrounding student behavior by talking with the people who are implementing these practices, where they work, and with the students that they support. Today, we're talking about the ways that your PBIS implementation can support you through the various phases of any given crisis. Y'all, this week was a big week in this house. This week, our kids went back into school in person for two entire days. It was a day, it was a week that I honestly didn't think was ever going to come. The current pandemic that we're in started all the way back in March, 2020. And I remember thinking that our kids were gonna come home for a week and then it would be spring break and then they were gonna go right back into the building. But then those two weeks stretched into three weeks and then it became a month. And then we got the notice that things were gonna be out indefinitely. And, you know, I think I went through the five stages of grief around the whole process. The first stage was denial, of course. I told myself, nah, everything's gonna be fine. I mean, they're, they're gonna go back. They say indefinitely, but like, they're gonna go back. When we found out that all of this was actually real and that our quarantine life was going to happen, I moved right on into the second stage of anger. Oh, I was mad. How could this be happening? Doesn't anyone know what they're doing? How can we just, we just got to get back. I was, I was upset. <laughs> I was really upset. And then came bargaining, of course. What if, I thought, what if I just doused my kids in hand sanitizer and I wrapped them in a plastic bubble and we just like rolled to school? Could they just, could we do that? I would do anything. I'll do anything to get them back in the building. And when I realized, of course, eventually that those bargaining tools that I was using was really unreasonable, depression set in and... I came to the realization that none of us could actually do anything to move this crisis faster. We couldn't resolve it quickly. I call this particular stage my flannel shirt and sweatpants stage. Uh, and finally, of course, I moved on to acceptance, which was that if I was gonna get any kind of normalcy back in my life, that it was something I would have to create it. I would have to be intentional about it. And it would, it would have to be something that I create. So I needed to use my current systems, the things that I knew worked for us and our family, the routines, the schedules, all of that. And I was just gonna to have to modify them to work within this given context. Well, that's exactly what my guests did today in their schools to support their students, their staff, their communities through this challenging year. They used their PBIS implementation as a framework for how to make school work through distance learning, hybrid learning, and eventually a return to in-person instruction. With me today are Kitty Clemens and Luke Borowski from Cedarhurst School. Kitty is the uh, assistant director there, and Luke is the behavior program manager. Uh, and also with me today is Jen Buchart from Southbridge Public Schools in Massachusetts, where she's the supervisor of culture and climate for the district. Welcome to the podcast, everyone. We're so happy to have you all here. 
So uh, let's just start by having you all tell us a little bit about where you work, shall we? So Kitty, do you wanna take a second to talk a little bit about Cedarhurst? Sure. So Cedarhurst School is in Connecticut. It is um, a middle and high school with grades six through 12. It's a therapeutic school. So we have um, students who come from all over Connecticut from public schools and they're placed by their public school districts and um, the public school districts pay their tuition here. So we have a very sort of socioeconomically diverse student body. They all have um, IEPs and um, the students who we work with um, have social, emotional and behavioral difficulties that make it um, challenging for them to access their regular education, their education in a regular education setting. Um, and then in addition to the middle and high school, we have um, a transition program for 18 to 21 year olds. And we have a separate program that is for students who are sort of profoundly school avoidant. Um, and that program was in existence before the pandemic and now is um, more needed than ever, I think. Um, yeah. So that's, that's Cedarhurst in a nutshell. And Jen, do you wanna tell us about Southbridge? Sure. Um, we're located um, in Massachusetts. We have six schools. We've got a pre-K to one um, elementary. We've got two elementaries that are two through five, a middle school, a high school, and then we also have a therapeutic day school. Um, we have a, our, our students or our, our background of students are um, lower, lo lower socioeconomic status, um, majority um, Hispanic population. Um, and we are also, our school is in receivership um, where we have been underperforming for a certain amount of years. So our, the state has come in and taken control of our schools and taken over. So um, we've been doing PBIS for the past four years. So that's really just basics on us. Yeah, just a little bit in a nutshell. Yeah. And yeah. So, so the, we're here to talk about how your PBIS implementation has really supported you all in this last year through a really challenging time that we've all been going through. So um, the first thing that I want us to talk about is, um, so our, our Teach by Design article this month is really focused on the phases that we all are likely to go through during a crisis in order to get from the beginning of it through to a full recovery from it. Um, the first phase is called the immediate crisis response. It's a super chaotic time um, where there's just a lot of questions and not very many answers, you know, and everybody gets kind of like, it's just chaotic and frustrating and uh, produces a lot of anxiety. So um, you all probably went through something like this in March last year, right, when everything started. And so I'm curious, um, what were some of the things that the first things, the very first things that you all did in that particular time? And did you immediately know that you were going to rely so heavily on your PBIS implementation at, in that moment? Or did that come, come across a little later? Um, so I think for us at Cedarhurst, um, it was just about setting up and testing our platforms. Um, so um, we decided that we were going to use Zoom and uh, Google Classroom. Um, so we just had to make sure that everybody um, had it downloaded, that both staff and students knew how to use it. Um, so it was just that that whole testing 
um, phase um, mm -hmm. and, and just introducing how to use Google Classroom efficiently and posting the assignments and, and making sure that students knew how to turn in the assignments. Yeah. Um, and then we also had um, Kitty and Betsy, who's our director, um, came up with a slightly altered um, schedule that we would use while on remote, um, where the days were a little bit um, shortened. Um, and that provided for some extra meetings for all of us to meet as a team in the afternoon that I think was um, very valuable at the mm -hmm. time. So I think initially this, that, that those first couple of days was just making sure we had the platform set up and everybody knew how to use them. Yeah, it's kind of like the nuts and bolts of like, how are you actually going to communicate with each other and talk yeah. to each other and do school? Like you, you have to get all that set up. And actually the other really important thing that I should mention is we also did a survey with the students and the families just about um, finding out what um, access to technology they had at home and internet, mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. just to make sure that, you know, it's, it's great that they know how to use the platforms, but they actually have access to it and are able to use it. Yep. For us, Jen, in, did you have something? Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead, Jen. For in Southbridge, I remember um, we had left school on a Friday, you know, thinking, you know, going home for the weekend and coming back on Monday and then getting the news that we were going to be closed, you know, for the for the time being. And I think that next week was a bit of a that that chaotic that feeling of like yeah. I don't know what's what are we, what's going on what's happening you know and I think some of the stages that we went through um, we had continued meeting as PBIS teams after probably that first week of like the oh my god what are we gonna do type of thing and then we pulled it together and we pulled together all six of our teams um, to start meeting weekly after that and we went through a definite period of stages where um, we were planning to go back to school after April break, which we have here yeah. in Massachusetts. And, you know, there was like hope, like we're going to return back to school and using our PBIS framework to support that. So it kind of, it happened early on for us with our planning, but the issue was, was that, you know, obviously the pandemic wasn't resolving. So we kept planning and then dates would get pushed back and then plan again for a return and then dates would get pushed back and then eventually finally made the decision that, you know, we weren't coming back. So um, I think there was frustration within my teams that that feeling of like doing all this work, planning to come back and then it not happening, but ended up benefiting us for when we did return in September because we had done so much legwork leg on the return mm -hmm. and had done so much planning that it didn't feel so overwhelming when we were actually returning back. So. Yeah, yeah, I, fe I felt that too. I mean, yeah, that first day our kids coming home, I was like, oh, well, they'll just be home for a little bit and we'll go back. But yeah, that back and forth definitely um, created or enhanced the feeling of chaos for sure. Um, my mom would, try and ask me like how she could help or whatever and I just tell her like all you can do is just make a plan and then like be ready to change it because there really wasn't there was so much information and just like a, also like odd lack of information you know during the time so yeah for me it was communication during that first phase I felt like um, as someone who doesn't work inside of a school, but whose life is heavily impacted by schools, it was so nice just to hear from 
the people that my kids were around all the time up until then. You know, we were hearing from our daycare provider and our after-school club and the principal, and then we started to hear from teachers a little bit, and it made me realize for sure how embedded school was in our community and how we did our life, that even just hearing from people was so nice. And um, I remember too, there was an email that I got from the YMCA, which is where, you know, they run the after school program up here. And I think it literally said something like, we know you have questions and so do we, and we don't have the answers. Like that was their email. And instead of waiting until they did have answers and communicating with us at that point, they were like, no, our families need to hear from us. They're waiting to hear from us. And we're just going to tell them that we don't have the information that they're looking for. And even that was so useful to me in those first few days. Um, so um, after that initial shock of everything and you've got it all kind of together, you kind of had to, did you, um, did you just kind of do remote school? Was everybody doing distance learning from spring until school ended in June? We were. You were? Yeah, just remote. Jen, were you um, kind of going back and forth between? We were remote, but it was asynchronous remote where they yeah. would get those packets. Unfortunately, we didn't have one-to-one um, -one technology at the time and we're, uh -huh. we're unable to, to do that. So, but we are one-to-one -one now, so it's very exciting. <laughs> nice, nice. Yeah, I think that um, for our kids were kind of in a similar boat. It was toward the end of the school year we started to get, they started to get some synchronous learning going, but for the first little bit, it was asynchronous. So. Um, and I think all of you now are, are, um, are you full-time in-person or are you still doing some hybrid? We're hybrid. You're doing some hybrid. Okay. So, um, so at this point in the year, you know, looking back on all of it, what were some of the things that, um, some of the aspects of your PBIS implementation that really supported you and guided you, um, along the way that when you look back on it, you think, if we're ever in a time where our school has to go through something critical like this again, this is what I would want to focus on and make sure we have in place. So we we didn't realize, I think, within that first chaotic period of the first two weeks. I mean, we were we were doing synchronous remote the you know the day after we we left school. Yeah, um, because we had some ability to plan ahead of time, which was really lucky, and we're small enough that we were able to get technology to all of our students. Um, but it took us a couple weeks. You know, it was, it's interesting to hear you talk about it like a crisis. I think of a crisis as something that sort of lands, and then it's sort of, you know what the crisis yeah. is, but I don't think we really understood what the crisis was, and it kept changing. So it was just a very slowly evolving mm. situation. And it took us a couple weeks to figure out that we, you know, we see we've got our feet under us. And then it was like, yeah, we need to meet. The team needs to meet. And then the team met and it was like, oh yeah, we have, we have all of this in place to support students engaging because that was the thing that really was missing in remote for us that, you know, a lot of students were not signing on, we're not staying on, we're not having their cameras on. Mm -hmm. um, and so we really used, we really leaned heavily on the PBIS um, structure, structures that we had in place with the, you know, with the existing team and the, we have a point and a level system and 
So we had to readjust our expectations. But I think in any crisis moving forward, you know, we will know that that, you know, the first thing to do is to meet with your team and then, you know, do a needs assessment and then redefining expectations for us was really key and mm -hmm. just sort of shifting everything over to engagement and then sort of defining what does that look like? How are we going to keep that data? Um, we used, we also used, um, we were lucky in that we had a little bit of experience with Zoom because our students are all over Connecticut. We had been experimenting with Zoom already a little bit for parent engagement. And um, we have cell phones that the clinical staff can use to communicate with um, parents and students and texting is the way that students communicate. So that was really helpful. Mm -hmm. uh, and we will definitely- Have you communicated with your students like that before now? Texting with them and all of that? We had just started because that was something we figured out with our school engagement program that kids don't use phones and they don't use email. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. And that's why we had the cell phones, mm -hmm. um, but it was invaluable um, in the in the remote learning. Um, mm -hmm. That's that's something I would definitely recommend to any anyone. Um, if you can get a couple of cell phones and you can <laughs> communicate with kids, you will have a much better response. Yeah, Luke, um, can you talk yeah. about a little bit about um, the data that you collected around engagement and how you were able to kind of shift? that focus and make some decisions on how to improve it? Sure, so I, I, I think our, our, our key was to just simplify. Um, we we kind of realized pretty quick that we weren't going to be able to keep track of everything. Um, so um, what we wanted to focus on was obviously attendance and engagement. Um, so one of our social workers um, came up with um, this grid in Excel um, that would just have the student's name and the period and it was color-coded. Um, and we would simply, um, we, we had about three or four um, categories that we went off of. If, if the student was there, if the student was um, responsive, or if they were only there for part of the period, um, or if they weren't there at all. So what we, what we did is um, at the very beginning of each class, um, a teacher would send out a pre-populated email to all the social workers, just letting them know who's there and maybe a quick little line about they're participating, they're not. Um, and then the social workers would be able to kind of in real time be able to um, reach out to um, to both really the, the students and the parents and, and to try to um, get them to re-engage. Um, mm -hmm. And then so it was the data was really helpful in the moment. And then at the end of the week, we would be able to kind of look at the big picture and you know identify which students were struggling, um, what parts of the day they were struggling. Um, and then that kind of helped us with even just simplifying our level system. And, and we, you know, we went from having three different levels to just having two levels um, and, and simplifying kind of, um, you know, as long as you were engaging, you know, 80% of the time is what we were looking for. Mm -hmm. um, we would um, kind of try to reward that. Yeah. Um, so it was I a love very you guys were able to, to shift like that, to, to be able to use that data, um, which is, very clearly something that you guys were doing as a team to recognize that you were, um, you had, your priorities had to shift and what was uh, the behaviors that you were trying to improve upon when students were no longer in your building. So I really liked 
your example when we had talked earlier about about using that data differently and how you were able to include that in the way that you were communicating with the social workers too. I think that's excellent. Jen, what about you guys? What were some of the things that you all did? So I think um, as far as our PBS implementation, um, I think that was one of our strongest points um, of not recreating the wheel. I think that sometimes mm -hmm. when you're in like a situation and a bit of panic and like, what are we gonna do? Um, realizing what we have and what we already have in place and using that and leveraging that was one of the, the, the strongest things that we did ar around our COVID expectations, mm -hmm. around our incentive system, like consequences, clearing, clearing consistent reteaching of expectations. I think um, things that we've struggled with in the past are like getting everyone to buy into school rules and things like that and, and teaching them and following them you know, consistently between classes. So like cell phones are allowed in one class, maybe not another type of thing. Mm -hmm. But with COVID, it kind of helped us all unite and come together and and teach these expectations. And that's kind of the example we've been using to like push our PBIS and just make it stronger in our class in, in our classes and our schools. Um, so say more about that. What do you mean you've been using that as an example for how you can improve upon the way that uh, the perception around behavioral expectations? So I think it's a buy-in piece. Um, uh -huh. I think with older grades specifically, like middle school and high school, there is like a perception that students should know how to do certain, should have certain skills, should be doing certain behaviors at that, that age. But sometimes you do have to do some reteaches with kids on certain skills and, and help build them up to be, you know, great students, amazing, mm -hmm. successful students. So I think using that example that we were all on the same page and we were all united <laughs> yeah. around COVID and, you know, we didn't, we didn't have like expectations. You don't have to wear a mask in my room type every, right. it, was, it was, everyone had to do it. So using that example as a leverage for buy-in for all the rest of our expectations, our school rules has been helpful in just our, our buy-in in our, in our, in our secondary schools. Mm -hmm. I'm curious too, I know that, um, so you're in your regular, ordinary life in school, you're focused on culture and climate. And I wondered what your perception was um, during this past year on how you could maintain a positive school culture or even to try and transition it into distance and remote learning and back and forth between you know what I'm saying? Like, I'm curious how you all were able to, to do that. So I think for us, um, we've been fortunate enough, we have a partnership with UConn. So we were able to actually do a, a climate survey with our staff and our students um, at the beginning around like December, January to kind of okay. see where kids were at, see where staff were at, like around their perception of school. Um, so we did get a, a good data source there. Um, a lot of the information that we got was around students feeling really disconnected from their friends. So moving forward, we had to come up with ideas to kind of give kids opportunities to have conversations. We added a late bus in, um, we've added um, some sports drills. We can't really have like technically sports, but we've added like some drills after school where kids can stay after school. We've added in, um, 
some after school times with teachers. We have after school programs. So kind of leveraging that so that students have a chance to engage. And then of course, like we do a ton of um, spirit days and like fun days for yeah. involve both, um, you know, in person and remote and it kind of boosts everyone's morale a bit getting to do some funny stuff. Yeah. Kitty and Luke, did you all experience something similar with students feeling disconnected from each other? And I mean, especially you all, you've got students that are spread out. They're not even in the same town necessarily. And how did you overcome that? I I think we definitely did. And uh, one of the things that we did is we offered um, clubs um, after school hours. So, and we had um, social workers and teachers that would volunteer um, and we would do things like cooking clubs that students would be able to sign up for. Um, we had, you know, like a game club, um, you know, like, vir- and obviously most of it at, at the time or all of it was virtual. Um, you know, some of them meet kind of in person now, some of our mm-hmm. groups, um, but just giving um, an outlet to the students, even though it was virtual, it was just in a room where they would be able to participate in an activity and have some level of, you know, just being able to socialize. Mm-hmm. Um we also so I think started was... we started doing a, a school-wide community meeting once a week, which Luke runs. And that I remember the first community meeting, which we actually didn't have until late last spring, um, but when we were still sort of solidly in lockdown. Mm-hmm. Um, it was so, I mean, the kids were just so happy to see each mm-hmm. other. And even though it was in Zoom, they were, it was just, a really um, palpable sense of, um, I don't know, just joy to, to see each other. And yeah. a lot more than we thought showed up. You know, a lot of them showed yeah. up. Yeah, right. It was really the nice. excitement now, around school was real in those days. Yeah. And now we still do it. Uh, it's remote, but the kids who are in opposite cohorts get to see each other. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, they see each other anyway in class, but it's it's less of a, it's more of a, you know, less structured thing. Yeah. So I'm hearing from you all, the things that worked out really nicely were having those um, consistent team meetings, looking at data to um, make adjustments to where you're focusing your time and helping students to maintain the community that they love and um, provide them opportunities to connect with each other. I think that's really wonderful. Were there any things that you guys tried that you thought this is going to be great and it was a flop? (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I think yeah, one it was perfect great that's great <laughs> <laughs> um, I think one of the things that um, we kind of struggled with was um, just recognizing students in the moment for um, you know anything mm. that they were doing well um, you know pre-pandemic we used a kind of a token economy yeah we had physical tickets that we would use yeah. and just giving them that ticket you know and saying you know it, it kind of um just really reinforced the praise that they were getting. And and virtually, I think that praise was happening verbally. And, you know, and we even on, you know, we still use the behavior, virtual behavioral cards now, um, Mm -hmm. where where we do put the number of the tickets earned per period, but it's just not the same, I think, as just receiving it um, in person and just even encouraging them to check their cards more often um, Mm -hmm. so that if they have any, you know, any questions about, um, you know, why they earned 
a certain amount of points based on the expectations. Again, when it's given to them physical, they will automatically kind of glance at it. Where now it's virtual, they just have to open up a document. Um, so just just kind of um, reminding them that they, they need to do that so that mm -hmm. the reinforcements are more in the moment. Um, I think that's kind of the hardest yeah. on our end. Well, and when you're dealing with school that's all, vir when it's virtual, especially, there's so much that takes so much energy and um, attention that the technology takes that um, it definitely is a, is a struggle to try and make those connections, I would say, you know, in the moment over a screen when you're also dealing with like pulling up an app or like navigating to a certain spot or clicking something. There's just more involved for teachers, I would say. In a virtual environment yeah and then i think coming up with activities for the students um that would be rewarding as well that they could then trade in those tickets yeah um you know everything a lot of the activities we we traditional activities we had planned it's like well we can't do that anymore we can't do that anymore. <laughs> yeah. so you know we were kind of serving the students and getting ideas from them like hey what, what would you guys like to earn and, and what can we offer you keeping in mind that we have these restrictions in place what would motivate you? Um, so, you know, mm -hmm. just sending those surveys out and then actually, you know, listening to the feedback and and then being able to offer those activities to them. Mm -hmm. How about you, Jen? Did you all try anything that didn't work out the first time? I think Luke stole mine. Um, <laughs> I'd have to completely second the incentive system, especially mm -hmm. supporting remote students. Um, you know, it looks really good on paper when you plan it, but sometimes implementation can be very, very tricky. And I think thinking of like how big some of our schools are and like getting the actual items to students that were remote was a huge challenge. We have a great team here who they were making deliveries. We had a Google form, but then also like communication to students too was also really, really hard because emails sometimes get missed messages on the google classroom mm -hmm. get missed and plus just the overwhelmingness of switching to this world for students like you're getting 50 million messages from your other google classrooms <laughs> you're trying to keep up with your work you're trying to go on to the so i think for some of that that was really challenging and then like sometimes kids in the they would buy an item from the school store and it's like a bag of chips and like having a parent, like justifying a parent driving out to the school to come pick up a bag of chips, a bag of chips. you know, it's a big deal. But I think um, that has been a, a huge challenge. And then also yeah. just using the praise correctly for remote, you know, that's just, it's hard. So, yeah. Um, Luke, when we were talking earlier, you, um, you mentioned that you had a group of students that you met with pretty regularly to get their feedback on um, some of the different things that you all could be doing to support students and even like PBIS in general, like what they were looking for. Can you tell us a little bit, can you talk just a little bit about that? Yeah, so, um, you know, just like uh, the team meets every single week, I meet with um, a select group of volunteers um, and, and, you know, the, the nice thing is, um, the volunteers kind of come from all different kinds of homerooms and there's a yeah. couple of middle schoolers in there. So, um, but we have a, a small group that also meet with me every single week. Um, and we just talk about, you know, the activities that are ha happening, um, 
the, the, the things that are the, the items that we have in the school store. And again, they, they're just able to give me suggestion. And my message to them is talk to your classmates. You know, you, you see them in classes more often than I do. Yeah. Um, so, you know, you're kind of the representatives, you're the leaders. Um, it just kind of also gives them, I think, a purpose and a sense of buy-in to the community. Um, and then we're currently working on um, having them, um, kind of coaching them up and having them run some of the PBS lessons yeah. um, so that it's not just coming from the staff. Um, so we're, we're, we're still working on that. I'm, I'm very hopeful that within the next couple of weeks, um, you know, they're, they're going to be able to deliver some of those PBS lessons, um, which I think is going to be more meaningful coming from the yeah. students rather than just, you know, the staff all the time. Of course. Yeah. Was that a practice that you had done before all of this or was this brand new to you that something you came up with in this moment? It wasn't brand new. We, we have done it. Um, I just I don't think we've done it consistently, but we, yeah. we've, we've had um, a couple of periods where we've used that before. We used to call them ambassadors um, mm -hmm. where we would um, kind of um, do the same thing, use them to um, to kind of teach some of the PBS lessons. Um, but as far as the, a lot of the PBS stuff, we used to have student council when we were in person. And and with with the new schedule and being remote, we, we no longer had that. So it's the kind of the team kind of picks up some of the slack yeah. um, from that. That's excellent. Do you think that, um, so it sounds like you were able to kind of use this time as a as an opportunity to just um, test out something and it's going to work maybe for you in the future. Are there other things that worked out for any of you? Um, it's a question for everyone. Is, this, is there anything that worked out this time and during this time that you think, well, this worked out better than the way we were doing it before. Yeah. We're going to do this moving forward. And what um, would those things be? So I think one thing for us, you know, I mentioned the behavioral cards that we used that were, mm -hmm. um, you know, it was, it was a physical card that they carried. Um, I think there's some definite advantages to having it, um, you know, done digitally. Um, we're yeah. able to get that data right away. You know, we have formulas in there that um, are able to compile the data, so we're able to look at it. Um, it I think it takes, um, you know, it's less time consuming for the staff to actually have to, in, they don't have to input it. It's kind of right there. So I think that was really helpful. I think it. Um, we were forced to kind of look for some of the, um, new technology and, 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 and just, you know, going through like Google Docs and Google Sheets and, and actually uh, kind of teaching it to ourselves so that we can be more proficient with it. And I think, um, I think we still have a little bit of ways to go. I think we could improve on it. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I think there's some advantages to it that we would definitely like to keep that moving That's forward. That's awesome. Jen, did you have other things? I think for two two areas that we have been lacking in and put into place was um an orientation practice for for students um that were switching between modes we had never really had an official like orientation process for students but because of students you know switching from remote to in person we really needed something in place to kind of get kids caught up on how different school was and that has been just one of the the greatest pieces that have been created we've gotten students involved in that they do tours they help teach some expectations 
Um, so that's been, that's a legacy legacy that I hope continues throughout mm-hmm. when we have new students just coming into the school to, you know, give them a nice orient, orient them to the, to the school and the rules and show them around and welcome them. I love how involved these kids have become in the school and the way that it works and teaching some of the other students how, how things are supposed to be, you know, when you go to school here, this is how you do it, you know? Kitty, how about you and your administrative role? Are there any are there any aspects of your work that you found actually are a little bit better in this time that you want to take moving forward? I mean, I think <laughs> this is pretty basic, but I but I think that um, you know Zoom meetings are definitely going to be in our future um, as much as we complain about them. Um, it, you know, it does allow us; it will allow us to you know meet with teams from sending school districts and yes, collateral folks and parents in a more um, timely way and you know more readily. Um, and then also, I just think that this isn't really, I guess, specific to the pandemic, but. that period you described at the beginning with the chaos and the uncertainty, you know, it just really became so clear to me how much teachers as an administrator um, care about their students. I mean, I I already knew that, but it, it really was just so abundantly clear and, and how important it is for administrators to support their teachers and to really use PBIS practices with teachers also you know they need they need support um to just it just really expanded my empathy which was already quite abundant for teachers I think that's a really lovely note to end on um well where can folks find out a little bit more information about the things that you all are doing maybe your school maybe you're involved in some research where could they find out some more information? So we we have a website and we are um, post a lot of things on the website. So it's um, cedarhurst.yale.edu. Perfect. How about you, Jen? Same for us. We have a website, um, southbridgepublic.org. Um, we post a lot of information there and then could always reach out by email always happy to share resources or matrices or lesson plans, whatever anyone needs. Great. So this is where we get to a brand new segment for our expert instruction podcast. It's called After School. It's where we ask our our guests for their favorite thing in in the moment. Today, we're asking our guests to give us their best tip or trick for living this distance learning life that we're all in these days. I'll let you guys just, who who wants to start? Who's got a a trick? I'll start. Um, This is is not necessarily after school, it's for in school, but one of the (laughs) ways that we've just started to um, reinforce student engagement when they're home um, remotely is by having surprise guests stop in randomly to classrooms and reward anyone who's on screen at that moment. Ooh. Um, and the, the students find it really fun and also because it's you know randomized reinforcement, it's very effective. 
You never who are know. These special guests who shows so we, up. We had a teacher, as an example, who was out on leave, um, a medical leave, and you know everyone was really missing her. And when she was feeling up for it, she came in and visited all the classrooms. Oh, that's special. Um, and gave out some rewards for anyone on screen. Excellent. I think one of the things that has kind of helped me through all of this is um, checking in with, um, you know, other professionals that are in our profession, other teachers, but um, from other buildings or other schools. And, mm. and sometimes I think um, just to put it in perspective, when you when you're in the building and you're struggling with something and you kind of second guess yourself, you know, um, am I doing this right? Like, you know, why? maybe I'm not getting the results and then you kind of talk to teachers from other schools and you just they kind of normalize it for you and and you know they kind of let you know like maybe you're doing better than what you thought you were so just that perspective of like leaving your little bubble and um kind of reaching out to those around you I, th I think was has been really really helpful um it's so good to like talk to other people because you have this sense right that everyone is going through this that you're not alone but also it's nice to hear it from people yeah. you just mentally I have it in my mind like yeah I get it like everybody's like we're all doing this and everybody gets to struggle but to like make a connection with somebody and they like verbalize it you're like oh thank god yeah. like <laughs> Yeah, Jen, how about you? What's your trick? I think um, for during our team meetings, um, sometimes, you know, being online and trying to collect all of this information, um, some of my coaches have been using Jamboard and that has been an amazing way for us to collect ideas and make sure we don't miss anyone's ideas. So that's been like our, our distance learning trick or tip that we use in our, our meetings now, which is very, very helpful. Great. In our office, mine is that um, in our office, we had a group of us that all shared kind of a similar area. And every day there would be a group of us that would sit down and we would have breakfast and coffee together and then we go back to work. And of course, now that we're all doing our work from home, we couldn't do that. So we made it a priority to set up a day during the week where we could all still get together have a chat, eat our breakfast, and then head out. It's super informal. Everyone can come if they want to come um, or not come if they want to come. One of, a, one of our um, colleagues, Brian, he's always the first one on, and he's always playing music when you get on. So even when you get a log on, if you don't want to talk, you don't have to. You can just listen to Brian's music going. But it's been really nice. You know, It's been just a nice way to keep in touch with each other and check in and have some of that like in the hallway information that would just naturally come up comes up on that zoom so thanks guys we really appreciate having you all here um and we'll talk to you soon